Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to Please every open generation, your Bibles to Psalm so we can grow in our relationship with God. We sang tonight about the majesty of, of God, the magnificence of God, and that's what Psalm 139 is. It's just a picture of His majesty. It's a picture of His magnificence, of His beauty. But it's from a very personal and intimate perspective, which is what I love about many of the Psalms. They just really get down to a real personal and intimate relationship with God. God's omniscience, His omnipresence and his omnipotence are all revealed throughout this psalm but it's in a way that the psalmist can relate to and he can sense God's character he can sense his nature he can sense his hand upon him he can he can sense God's closeness because of his relationship with God as we draw closer to him he will draw closer to us as we desire more of Him, He'll reveal Himself more and more to us. It's that ever-growing relationship, never to remain stagnant, always to be getting deeper and deeper with our relationship with Him. And I love the way the psalmist, we're going to study just this one psalm tonight, but I'm going to really break it down because there's so much in these verses. As we become more familiar with who God is, He will reveal to us His, His attributes. And then we will start to sense His closeness. Because when we see God's attributes, when we understand His love, when we understand just how much He knows us, and we can't even relate it to another person. There's just nobody in this world who knows us the way God does. And so we'll really get a greater sense of how close we are to God because he is, he is truly close to us. So we're going to jump in in the first six verses. For the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me from behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You hear the, just the, the heart of David here. Recognizing God, recognizing his, his character, recognizing his intimate relationship with him and then recognizes his, his, his inability to even comprehend it. It's too awesome for him to understand. It's too awesome for us to understand. David, who was a man after God's own heart, recognized this special relationship that a believer has with his creator. In the first few verses, we see David here establishing an awesome principle we could even call it a doctrine that God has perfect knowledge of us. 
Perfect because he's perfect. Perfect because it's complete. And when we think about that, when we consider that, let me say that again. God has perfect or complete knowledge of each and every one of us. Does that give you comfort? Or does that kind of scare you a little bit? I think for most of us, we can say a little bit of both. It should give us comfort, certainly, that God knows all our ways. There's nothing that, that, goes, that goes past him that he doesn't notice. And then that can also be a little bit scary. He knows our movements and activities, whether they bring him glory or they don't. Whether they bring him sh- glory or they bring him shame. He knows it. And I'm going to put up a, a scripture here in Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom, to whom we must give account. Nothing's hidden from him. He knows it all. So David here establishes this principle, but he does it in a very personal way, not in a general sense that God knows everything about everything. He is omniscient. He knows all things. But let's get down to you and I and what God knows about us. In verse 1 it says, You searched me and know me. David here is saying this is an individual relationship. This is a personal relationship that I have with my Creator. You know my sitting down in verse 2 and my rising up. So he knows our every move. He knows if you were lazy and slept in today. He knows if you got up early and uh, whatever you did. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're sitting down. And to know that about God Listen, if, if we understand that God knows every movement we make, He knows everything that we do, and to think that He still loves us, despite that, that's an awesome thing. If, if, you're, if any one person knew every single thing about you, each and every one of you, would they still love you with that same love? But God does. He knows all about us and He loves us. You understand my thought afar off. So not only does God understand our every move, know our every move, but He knows our every thought. Our thoughts we can hide from others. We can't hide our thoughts from God. Our actions have usually noticeable consequences. Our thoughts may not. There may be no evidence of what kind of thoughts are going through our minds, but that doesn't change the fact that God still knows them all. There may be no consequences to our thoughts, but God knows them. Verse 4 says, There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So as we kind of continue to paint this picture of God's complete and perfect knowledge of each and every one of us. We see He knows our actions, He knows our thoughts, and He knows our words. You know, He knows our words in a way that, that maybe other people don't know our words. Sometimes we say things that sound one way, but we really mean them some other way. 
That ever happened to you where you kind of, you, you use words in a way that people may think you mean something, but you really don't. Proverbs 18.21, speaking of the power of our words, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 21.23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. So God knows our thoughts, our actions, and our words, and he knows the intent of our words. He knows the motivation of our words. He knows what's behind them. And if we guard our mouth, if we guard our tongue, it will keep our soul from trouble. James 1.26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So you may be, you know, going through all the motions of a good religious person, but if your tongue is not tamed or your motives or your intent is not pleasing to God and loving to others, then your religion is really a waste of time. As we move on in, in the psalm, we see the psalmist's response now. You know, we have to respond to the fact that God knows everything about us. How do we respond to that? Now that we're aware that God knows us perfectly, how do we respond? I love the way the psalmist responds responds in verses 5 and 6 you have hedged me behind and before you and laid your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high I cannot attain it think about how we could respond or how David could respond to the knowledge to the understanding that God knows everything about him it could give it could have given David a sort of a sense of dread <laughs> or fear of God but instead he feels secure and protected. I love that. You've hedged me behind and before. You're all around me, God. You've protected me because you know me. You know me perfectly. You know, it's like as parents, you know, when we question our, our teens about where they're going, where, what they're doing, who their friends are, we want to know everything about them. But not, not to put fear into their hearts, but to give them a sense of security that they know that we love them. And that's the same thing with God. He desires us to be reassured, s sort of, that, that He's got the best for us. We, how, how comforting it is to know that God knows us completely. He's behind us to pick us up if we fall, to restore us when we fail and to protect us from our enemies. And, but he's also ahead of us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's clearing a path before us. And he's lighting it by his word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a light unto my path. And that's what God does for us. A lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So he's behind us he's before us he's protecting us because he knows us the psalmist speaks of this intimate relationship with god with respect and with awe in psalm 144 verse 3 he says lord what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you're mindful of him like who are we who are we that we should deserve god's attention 
Who are we that we should deserve God's love and care and, and, and his knowledge of us completely? Who are we? Well, we're his creation. We're, we were created to worship him. He's continually reaching out to us. He's continually showing himself, revealing himself to us. He's continually drawing us to him. That's who we are, to God. And it's amazing to me that I feel that God knows us, knows me better than I know myself. I don't know about you. Now, sometimes we can fool ourselves. Sometimes we can maybe think that our thoughts are, are pure and upright and, and, and pleasing to him, but maybe they're not. Certainly we don't have an unbiased judgment of ourselves. We never look as, as bad to ourselves as maybe somebody else does to us. But God's always judging perfectly and fairly. And I love that about, about God, that, that he sees everything about us and he judges us fairly. You know, he knows that we're going to fall short. It's not a sliding scale or, or anything like that. He knows that we can't be perfect because his son was the only one who could. But our righteousness is found in him. Not in, our wor- in ourselves or in our good works. Verses 7 through 10, you probably recognize these verses. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You know, we sing that song, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can we flee? Where can we go in this world? I love uh, one commentary I read describes these verses this way. God is wherever I could be. If If I ascend to heaven, if I descend to Sheol, if I travel with the sunbeams to the most distant part of the earth or the heavens or the sea, I shall be in thy hand. The commentator goes on. He says, no mention is made here of annihilation as if that were possible, which would be the only escape from the divine presence of God. For he is not a God of the dead or of the annihilated, like the Sadducees believed, but he's a God of the living. The Sadducees were that sect in Judaism with the belief that there's no life beyond death, there's no resurrection, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no afterlife. So for them, annihilation meant that when a person dies, that was it. They were, that was it. That was, they were done. But this psalm says, if I go into heaven, you're there. If I descend into hell, you are there. If I go anywhere to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're still there, God. The, the commentator here uh, closes with this line. Man is always somewhere. And God is always everywhere. Man is always somewhere, and God is always everywhere. The psalmist here is giving a greater emphasis to God's omnipresence. 
one of those great attributes of God. God is spirit, so just because we don't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Certainly, if we go to heaven when we die, he will be there because that's his eternal dwelling place. If we make our bed in hell, God is present in that everlasting flame of wrath against all those who haven't believed in his son Jesus. He's there. If a man finds himself, this question that, that's asked many times, if a man finds himself in, in the most remote part of the earth, will he be out of God's presence? No. God will reveal himself to that man in the wonder of creation, maybe in dreams or visions. God will reveal himself. Remember Jonah, you tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. If we go to Jonah 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he tried his best to flee from God's presence. God was with him in the beginning and he was with him when he wound up, spewed up onto the shore out of the whale's mouth. God was there too. So no matter where he tried to flee, God was, God was always there. Verses 11 and 12, back to Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall light about me, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. So thinking here, the psalmist, that maybe if in the darkness God doesn't see him. Maybe man wouldn't see him in the darkness, but for God, darkness and light are the same. God is light, and he gives light to all things. So there's no way that we can hide from him in the darkness. There's no way that the sin that we have in our closet is hidden from God. It's, it's revealed to him because he is light. He shines that big spotlight on, on all of us, no matter where, whether we think we're hidden from him or not. Ephesians 5.13 tells us, but all things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So God is light. He exposes those things and he sees all things. There's no darkness in God's presence. Darkness and light can't coexist together. In God's attributes, there is no darkness. So we can't hide from him. Verses 13 through 16 are very interesting, probably verses that you've heard before when speaking of the sanctity of life. And so we're going to go through them. I'm going to uh, speak a little bit about them, and then we're going to see a video, a uh, short video that really speak to these verses. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, 
and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Those are powerful, powerful verses. Verses 13 through 16 speak of the hand of God upon every person who was ever conceived. There's no doubt that reading these verses, it speaks clearly of the fact that the beginning of life is at conception. The Bible is clear that not only does life begin at conception, but God knows about us even before we were born, before we were conceived. He speak, when he speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, when God was commissioning Jeremiah to go out and be his prophet, in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart, Jeremiah, before you were even a, a, a glimmer in your parents' eyes. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. How awesome is that? God knew each and every one of us before we were even conceived. He had a plan. He has a purpose that he's laid out for each and every one of us, set out, sanctified us, set us apart for his good purpose, for his good will, for his good pleasure, for his glory. If you've ever wondered if God can use you, he can use each and every person. Why? Because he's set out a plan for us before the foundations of the world. It says in Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us before the foundation of the world, before the world was even formed. Remember, as the creation account speaks, he st God started to form the universe before man came along. So even before the worlds were set into motion, he knew you and I. He sees the entirety of human history from the end to the beginning. He knows it all. Time does not matter to God. He sees everything. By his foreknowledge, he knew who would receive him and who would accept him. And he planned our lives out accordingly. First Peter 1-2 says, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace, and be, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So be, according to God's foreknowledge, he knew that you would be here. You would have accepted him if you did, received his son as, as your savior. And he set out a plan and a purpose for each and every one. Verse 13 in Psalm 139, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. So our Creator was there at the beginning, His hands upon, upon us in our mother's womb. He's our Creator. He's our covering. And He gives us the ability then to discover Him. He discovered us. He, we, he wants us to discover Him through His Word. I will praise you, verse 14, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. All the praise goes to God. Even our parents were only instruments that God used to bring us forth into this world. The psalmist here is expressing his personal sense of the knowledge of God's hand upon him. When we witness to others about God, that personal experience, the knowledge that God has had his hand upon you and that you've experienced his marvelous works in your life, that should be part of your testimony. It should be personal because God is a personal God. My frame was not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Our birth, everyone's birth, was completed under the examination of God, under the consideration of God, under the workmanship of God. And although you can't see what's going on in in that woman's body when that baby is being formed, God is intimately involved in every detail. In verse 16, says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre- prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We all have a plan and a purpose to glorify God in this world. He's prepared good works for each of us. It's our responsibility to discover what they are and to walk in His ways. We'll just continue in Psalm 139 as we finish up. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake... I am still with you. Again, the psalmist continuing to focus on the omniscience of God, the fact that He knows each and every one of us. He thinks of us. His thoughts are precious towards us. That means they're valuable. They're priceless. Other people may love us and consider us of great value, but it doesn't compare to what God sees in us. His thoughts are innumerable. That means He never stops thinking of us. Even someone we love, we, they're not in our thoughts every second of every day. But for God, we are. He never stops thinking of us. When we think about that, when we consider that, that should bring us delight and strength and comfort, knowing that God, the Creator of all things, is actually thinking of us every second of every day. His thoughts toward us should bring us a sense of nearness to God, of closeness to God. Not only in our times of prayer or in reading His Word, but even as we sleep and then when we awake. You know, the psalmist may be speaking here of physical sleep and, 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 and awakening, but I, I see something here in a spiritual sense. When we repent and come back to Him, from our spiritual sleep, when we, when we fall, when we're in sin, He's there. 
we, when we come back to God in repentance, he's there. He's waiting for us. He's like the father that runs to the prodigal when he comes back in repentance. God is always there. Now the psalmist here in these next few verses, he sort of turns his attention from all the beauty that we've just seen, the, the images, the closeness of, of God to, to those who, who trust him, to his saints. He contrasts that with the wrath of God against those who are against him. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, verse 19, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. See, the psalmist here is identifying the fact that, that it's not the wicked that are against him, it's the wicked that are against God that he's asking for vengeance against. Although it hurts us when people speak evil against us, it should hurt us even more if they speak that way against our God. It says in verses 21 and 22, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. The Hebrew word here for hate is sane, used for enemy also in the Old Testament. Most times it's used as one man's hatred of another or a man's hatred of God. Seems as though there's a certain hatred that God will allow. I would call it righteous hatred. It reminds me of the saying that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. If we're a friend of God, then we're also enemies of those who are against God. In closing, in the last two verses here, the psalmist kind of goes back to the beginning. You know, he just interjected that little bit just to give us a contrast. After all of that closeness, that intimate relationship with God, he just wanted us to see what it was like uh, sort of on the other side for those who weren't, um, who didn't believe. So he goes back here to the intimate relationship that we have with God. Search me, verse 23, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So this last part here is sort of the self-examination part of life. Measuring our thoughts, our actions, and our words, not against others, but from God's point of view. Measuring ourselves with the Scriptures. You know, we can always justify ourselves in our thoughts and our actions and our words by saying, well, we're not as bad as some people. But what does God think? The word there for anxieties can be translated disquieting thoughts, sort of worries or concerns. You know my concerns, God. Psalm 94, 19 says, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So when I have times, when you have times of disquieting thoughts, God is there to comfort us. So the self-examination part, he's, he examines us for four things. Search me. So this is the part where we're asking God, we're allowing God to see us completely. Even though he does, it's sort of like we're giving, it's not for him, it's for us. 
It's worth saying, okay, God, I'm exposing my life to you. Every aspect of my life. Let nothing be hidden from you, Lord. You know, it's a way to live that sort of gives us the idea that God, God sees us everywhere we are, whatever we're doing. We don't always think like that. I know personally, I, I don't always think like that. I don't always consider that God is there. But we're, the psalmist here is saying, search me. Then he's saying, try me. That word means to scrutinize, to examine, to test, to prove. It's the same thing as when uh, a silversmith would take, a, a, take the, uh, the silver and he would, he would heat it up and those impurities would come to the top and he would s- sort of scrape off all the, the junk. In, in Job 23.10, but he knows, God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. That's that's a good testimony that Job had. In Proverbs 17.3, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. He sort of sometimes does it in the same way. Sometimes he'll turn up the heat under us. Sometimes he'll give us adversity. He'll allow that into our lives to sort of see where, which way we're going to go. See if there's any wicked way within me, the psalmist says. Asking God to see if there are any impurities in us and sort of giving Him permission to take them away. The word that's used for the impurities that rise to the top when you refine gold or silver is called dross. That's something that's regarded as worthless, rubbish, foreign matter. It doesn't belong. What is in our lives, God, that doesn't belong? That's not glorifying to you. What do you have to take away, God, for us to be more like you, Jesus? That's what we're doing when we, when we, when we say, God, you search me. And then the fourth part is for God to lead us. It says, lead me in the way everlasting. God, just lead me. We know we're susceptible. We know where our tendency is to go astray. So we're asking you, Lord, to lead us and guide us through this life. And so we see here in this psalm, there's no question, the intimate relationship that God wants for each and every one of us. I think this could change the way we walk in this this world always knowing that God knows what, where we're at. God knows what we're saying. God knows our thoughts. It should change us. And I pray that that does. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields 
by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.